Welcome to Social Efficiencing, a production of Coastal Roots Radio. This is our continuing coverage of the impacts of COVID-19 on North America's coastal fisheries and fishing communities. I would say that COVID really became the catalyst and somewhat of a springboard for us. Getting to meet those people directly really like made me feel like, okay, this is something I really want to be part of. CSF spit this bill because they're relationship forward. That's to say that they're as much about the product as they are about the people on either side of that transaction. Hello, I'm your co-host, Emily D'Souza. I'm joined by Joshua Stoll. And I'm Hannah Harrison. And hey, that is a new voice this week. Today, we're pleased to introduce you to our special guest co-host, Dr. Joshua Stoll from the University of Maine and co-founder of the Local Catch Network. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Josh is joining us today because this week, we are bringing you stories about a special kind of fisheries model, one that we've been talking about a lot in this podcast, Community Supported Fisheries, or CSFs. Today, we're exploring CSFs in depth, talking about the CSF movement, how they work, and the explosive growth that many CSFs have seen due to COVID-19. We are thrilled to have Josh here to share his expertise and to talk about the nuances of CSF models. Many listeners are likely familiar with the Community Supported Agriculture, or CSA, model, which was established in the U.S. in the 1980s. CSFs are a seafood-based derivative of CSAs and often share the same basic structure and principles. In a CSF, consumers prepay for a share of the catch and exchange receive a box or bag of seafood directly from a seafood harvester or coordinating business like a cooperative. Though CSAs have been in existence in North America for nearly 40 years, CSFs are actually a relatively new phenomenon, first emerging in the mid-2000s. I'll save you the details of this history, except to mention that the origin story of CSFs is a bit like that of Paul Bunyan and Babe, his blue ox, in that they actually both have multiple birthplaces. I've been thinking about the history of CSFs for quite a while now, and I think the important point is that the idea co-emerged in North America through time, and that co-emergence reflects a simultaneous recognition that fisheries and our food systems are not working for many harvesters. So with that background in mind, let's visit a few different models of CSFs. We'll start in Alaska with Linda Benkin, who works with Alaskans Own, a CSF that's been in business for over a decade. 11 years ago, in collaboration with the Alaska Sustainable Fisheries Trust, we launched a community-supported fisheries program called Alaskans Own, um, with the goal of better connecting people who love Alaska seafood to the people who catch the fish. I guess one of the statistics that really caught us was that less than 1% of the fish caught off Alaska stays in Alaska, um, which is, you know, maybe not that surprising given how much fish is caught up here, but we just heard more and more from people in our community and other communities in Alaska. They would, people would ask me, how do I get good Alaska seafood? And just not sure what, you know, how they could support fisheries and fishermen they felt good about and make sure they're getting really good quality seafood. So we were looking for a model that built on those connections, provided that seafood um, direct to consumers and 
We ship it in a Ford-funded subscription model where people sign up this time of year to receive fish from us, and we ship only frozen um, uh, every month. And um, to have that fish then available for pickup from coordinators in each of our hub communities. And so we have quite a few boats that'll contribute seafood to the program over the course of a season. And um, the way we make that equitable is that the profits from running Alaskans Own support the conservation work of the fishermen who are members of our association. We have a fishery conservation network that involves fishermen and collaborative research, working with scientists, working with each other to address resource issues, and that's where the profits from Alaskan Zone go. We also wanted to do it in a way that supported the processors that are here in our community rather than going around those processors because in Alaska's remote communities, fishing couldn't happen without a place to deliver um, and have your fish processed and marketed. So Alaskans Own is an example of a CSF that serves multiple functions and is operating at the fleet level. But CSFs come in a variety of packages and are usually operated as for-profit businesses. Uh, my name is Alan Lovewell. I am the founder of Real Good Fish. We are a community-supported fishery based out of Moss Landing in the central coast of California. Um, we're based in the heart of the Monterey Bay and operate with fishermen up and down the coast, uh, provide local sustainable seafood direct from boats um, direct to consumer so uh, the csf model you know the idea behind real good fish was really to create a business that would build a whole lot of bridges you know and really start to draw some connections that i saw again that were missing um, but we're also really fundamental in in the ways in which we function as a society both, again, in our understanding of how the natural world operates and how the ocean is really an incredible place that for a small fee provides us with basically free protein and food as long as we, again, manage it correctly. And that um, fishermen at the heart of their livelihoods and their um, passions for, for fishing were functioning very much as liaisons, so to speak, in our connections again to that resource and that ecosystem. Do people pay up front to like purchase a share or something like that? Or are they buying kind of what's available at the time that it comes up? I guess, how do people end up with their delivery or their pickup? The commitment is very basic. Um, the commitment is to, is to say that uh, folks are subscribing for a minimum of four deliveries and as long as a year's worth of deliveries. And this is a rolling basis. We're a year round we're lucky we're a year-round business and fishery in the sense that you know we're we've been able to supply over 40 different species of fish to our membership base. So people come and go, they go on vacation, they put themselves on hold. You know, it's very fluid. Um, we just recently started doing a little bit more of the one-by-one orders. We recognize that a lot of folks don't have you know the available cash flow to to say put up for four deliveries at a time and want to pay one at a time, and that's totally fine. Most CSFs don't offer a consistent product year-round. Rather, they sell what fish is available seasonally to encourage customers to eat with the ecosystem. 
Some CSFs actually specialize in offering less popular species to consumers in an effort to develop broader markets for underutilized species. Real good fish can't guarantee what will be harvested each day, so they've come up with a way of helping consumers connect with the seasonality of their product while still getting fish that they want to eat. Folks are opening themselves up to receive any number of products, any number of species that we're receiving at any moment. Um, with the yeah. option for customization, so we do let people let us know what they don't want. So it's an interesting sort of play on the idea that we can go to the grocery store and we can pick and choose whatever we want. What we're saying here is you're not going to pick and choose what you want, but you'll, you'll let us know what you don't want, and then we'll provide you with the rest. Right. And, yeah. Yeah. and if you're a consumer, yeah, maybe going to the grocery store is easier for you, but getting a delivery to your doorstep or going to a pickup location around the corner from your house it's still pretty damn convenient, especially with all the values and attributes associated with what we're doing, right? Like most of the fisheries and CSFs we've featured on this podcast, Real Good Fish has also seen the impacts of COVID-19 on demand for their products. It's been a lot in a good way. Um, I would say that we were really well positioned as a business because we've already been thinking about growth and we've been thinking a lot about how are we going to increase supply and demand and, and grow this company in that way. And uh, I would say that COVID really became the catalyst and somewhat of a springboard for us um, in a way that, again, we couldn't have even predicted or planned or, you know, even imagined through this COVID event that's continuing to unfold. <laughs> um, but obviously in the initial shock of, of the event, we got contacted by a lot of different ranchers and farmers who were struggling with their markets and were really interested in finding new customers. And we obviously had a pretty good customer base that we knew would be very appreciative and very supportive of, of those farmers and ranchers that, again, were doing sustainable practice, a lot of regenerative agriculture, a lot of the pasture-raised products that, again, were typically going to high-end restaurants or you know, niche markets, we were then getting access to, to be able to deliver direct to consumers. So um, that's been a new evolution for us is providing some of those additional proteins to our customer base. Another example of COVID-19 driven growth this month came from Marsh Skeel of Sitka Salmon Shares in Alaska. I bought a boat in 2011, or 2010, 2011. And right around then, um, I became friends with a, uh, a guy finishing his PhD, my business partner, Nick. And, uh, and he got a teaching job in Illinois. And I sent some fish down for like a little uh, nonprofit benefit dinner. And everyone was really like, whoa, this is awesome. Like, how do we get more fish? So he being kind of a sustainable foods professor, uh, sustainable kind of envir environmental studies was uh, knew about CSAs and CSFs. And uh, he kind of, he, he started with some students and I was able to sell some fish to them the next year in 2012. And, um, and then I got to go meet the people in Midwest that got my fish. So for one, I was paid like a, a, a fair, kind of a fair trade, a better price for my catch, which I was appreciative of. And, uh, because I wasn't one of the type of fishermen that wanted to just like buy bigger boats and fish harder and fish year round with a big expensive boat and a lot of pressure. Um, I was, you know, I wanted to stay small and really focus on quality and, uh, as someone who loves great food, I wanted that to be like highlighted as this like amazing ingredient that it is. 
it's one of the best foods you can get like wild Alaskan seafood. I was personally drawn to like doing everything I could to like share that with people and then getting to meet those people directly really like made me feel like, okay, this is something I really want to be part of. Our season runs April through December or CSF season. Um, and what you're getting is, you know, around four, four to five pounds of, of blast frozen fish and, uh, and individual portions directly to your doorstep. Um, uh, what we do is instead of that just coming from wherever and a source you don't feel comfortable with, we're working with individual fishermen across Alaska to, to harvest fish in a really sustainable way. So like the lowest impact gear types, um, you know, troll, long line, jig, and through these small boats and, and kind of sustainable fishing, we also think you get the best quality fish. So the more individual handling and why we have our own fish plan up here is because we really want to do the fish justice in the processing and freezing, filleting and freezing side of it too. So, um, you know, our, our fleet here in Sitco, we buy from our fishermen owners, so fishermen that are, that own part of the company. And then we take their fish and we fillet it and blast freeze it and uh, barge it and truck it to uh, Illinois, where then we distribute it across the country. So what you're getting in your share is kind of a, a seasonal mix of what we consider the best fish in Alaska. So we start off our season with halibut and black cod and ling cod, and then we transition to king salmon and coho and sockeye. And, and then we kind of finish up with, uh, with some more Pacific cod and dungeness crab and spot bronze. So we're really trying to give you like all the good fish here in Alaska throughout the season of, of your shares, kind of just like a CSA. It's not, we don't have fish on hand for years that we just like, you order some fish and we deliver that box. It's like we're sending little boats out on the ocean to catch the fish and hopefully <laughs> they get enough and we can get it processed in time and get it out to your doorstep. So it's really like this seasonal connection to these small scale fishermen. your purchase you, there's there's we have a we have like a, a few different share mixes so there's like the original one we started out with was just the salmon share so you get like king coho sockeye and gita salmon um and there's some that are more white fish happy but uh the, the most popular one is like the nine month share the premium share that goes through like the whole season april to through december so you pretty much get everything and so you, you can choose your share but you can't really choose what's in the mix and the thing we did is we didn't want to, if, if we're struggling with some fishery, if the fish didn't show up, we didn't want to try to scramble and get fish from somewhere else we didn't feel as good about or quality or, or sourcing. So we have some flexibility there. So like we pretty much know what's going to be in your share. We're pretty close to that. But if some fish come in late or some run is super strong or something else, we, we do have that ability to kind of switch out and we do our best to make sure that whatever we're swapping out for is still up to that like perfect fish standard and that we give you education about it. So you're not like, what do I do with lingcod? I don't know what this fish is. So, um, you know, we do recipe cards and cooking videos and really try to like uh, empower you to understand what you're getting um, and how to cook it and eat it. Sitka Salmon Shares has their own take on how they sell shares of their seafood products. And like real good fish and Alaskans own, they've also seen a significant growth in their membership since the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, we've been growing really quickly. So we started in our first real season was in 2012. But uh, we served like, I think just under 9,000 CSF members last year. And we're quite a bit above that already. And we're still on sale through the summer. So 
I think we're on track for more like 18,000 CSF members this year. This pandemic bump has not been unique to companies like Sitka Salmon Shares. We've heard similar stories across North America. People are craving connections. Some people are doing that by reaching out to old friends or having date nights on Zoom. Others are doing it through the food that they eat and by building relationships with the people who are producing it. CSFs fit this bill because they're relationship forward. That's to say that they're as much about the product as they are about the people on either side of that transaction. I want to pause and emphasize that point if you're okay with that. Think about the last time you went to the grocery store. The only social interactions I've had at a grocery store in the last six months are with the people who are walking down the aisles against the pandemic-approved flow of traffic. Participating in a CSF is an investment in people and place. And so this idea has resonated with consumers. For many fishermen and fishing families, the revenue from CSFs, which are often only part of their operation, has been a critically important source of revenue during the pandemic when prices were dropping and fishing seasons were uncertain. Of course, not everyone has such a rosy view of CSFs as we might have. Some folks we've spoken with over the course of making this podcast are skeptical that this major rise in CSF demand is actually here to stay. A few weeks ago, we spoke with Dan Donovan of Hooked Inc. in Toronto, a seafood distributor who, up until COVID-19, sold seafood to high-end restaurants. He offered a a few key critiques of the CSF model. I I think the seafood industry... um, the, the middleman, the middleman isn't a middleman, <laughs> I think is, is, um, is kind of my point. And I know we're a bit of an anomaly because we, you know, we previously may have purchased fish directly from a fisherman in BC who developed his, uh, his or her own home delivery or direct restaurant business. And, you know, and we're thrilled with that, which is great. But by taking us out, they've taken one of our sources out. And it's, it's kind of forces us now in, you know, back into the, the mass produced market when we were trying to, you know, bring that product to market and make sure that everybody got paid a, a fair price for it. And, and I think that this, this small independent retailer provides um, a real value and real service to, to the harvesters. The larger distribution chain is a multi-layered thing with you know, a lot of players involved and a lot of intense distribution. And I think that as a small retailer, it pains me to be lumped in as the same middleman as the big distribution network. I'd like to think that we're providing a bit more clarity, a bit more transparency in our market. So we're sad when we lose um, when we lose some of those suppliers to a direct to consumer model. I'm, I'm less concerned with the competition. The competition, I have no, no trouble with at all. It's just we're actually we're just sad to lose them as a source um, because I felt that our, I still feel, I guess, is that a vibrant network of smaller independent seafood retailers is a complement to what small independent fishermen do. And that, you know, we ought to be working together. So it's, it's a bit sad to be cut out. We also spoke recently with Ben Martens, who is the executive director of the Maine Coast Fishermen's Association. Ben's organization helped to found one of the earliest CSFs, and he offered some critiques about the direct marketing seafood model. 
one of the early projects that our organization did with the support of the Island Institute was we actually started the first CSF in the United States um, out of Port Clyde. It was called Port Clyde Fresh Catch. And um, it became very clear quickly that people don't want whole fish. And in the United States with CSFs, um, you know, they, they don't have the processing. You, you have to, you have, if you want to have a, a cut fish, it has to go through a, a certified processing facility. So what they found was like delivering whole fish to people was a non-starter and delivering the same type of fish to people over and over again was a non-starter. And so they actually had to go and build a small scale processing facility and they were able to get grant funding um, and the local philanthropy money to do so in Port Clyde. So what we found is trying to cut the middleman out actually led to creating a new middleman that it was fisherman driven. But um, we often like have this idealized version of like get the middleman out and more money will go back to the fishermen. And um, we keep we keep doing it over and over again and we keep learning the same lessons that sometimes middlemen are really important pieces of the supply chain and that um, having fishermen own some of the supply chain is very valuable, but the local food movement itself is very difficult for fishermen to engage in individually. And so we actually, as an organization, will often suggest is that if we're trying to think about how to build CSFs or direct to consumer markets, like what you're actually talking about is usually building a new middleman that is a little bit closer to home and may involve the fishermen in its development, but it's not as clear cut as like a farmer's market type model that, that we've seen take place. Ben's points are well taken. Certainly CSFs are not a good fit for all consumers or fishermen, but many of the harvesters we've featured on this podcast have had significant success building their businesses and the data shows the sector has grown rapidly. In 2008, there was one self-described CSF. In 2011, a paper by Campbell et al. reports that there were 32 CSFs with over 100 pickup locations across North America. Today, we have nearly 200 CSF-style operations in the local catch network with over 500 pickup locations. But yes, some people don't like the thought of filleting a fish, or don't know how, for example, to clean a live soft-shelled blue crab. Yeah, you know, Josh, I think you and Ben both raised some really important points here. Certainly one challenge of selling seafood direct is tapping into regional cultures of seafood eaters who know how to prepare seafood, such as, you say, cutting up a whole fish or cleaning shellfish. And if that culture, if that, that knowledge isn't present, CSFs are challenged with educating their consumers. That cultural knowledge of how to prepare and eat seafood at home is sometimes a struggle to maintain in a food system where convenience has typically been prioritized. Building off of that idea of needing to have the cultural knowledge of seafood, Ben also raised another important point about some of the challenges associated with building new consumption habits in consumers. At least in the United States, from what we've seen is we default back to normal very quickly. And especially after tragedy, after, uh, after seismic changes that take place and whether it was, um, you know, a previous pandemic or it was 9-11 or um, 
you know, anything else that kind of pops up and is a touch point for the entirety of the United States in a, in a very profound way, um, we do tend to default back to norm after a period of time. And so I think the, the real question is, is like, because this pandemic is so different and that we are locked into our homes, um, we are thinking differently, we are acting differently for an extended period of time, is it enough time to form new habits? And I think that unfortunately, we don't, we, we aren't going to. Um, and that doesn't mean that there's not going to be some net positives out of this for the seafood industry and for at home consumptions of seafood. But in Maine, at least, uh, we saw a huge uptick in local demand for direct from fishermen um, products early on in the pandemic. But as it's become easier to get access to protein in supermarkets, as um, you know, people are like, oh, you know, it was great going down and buying those lobsters that one time, or maybe I did it for two weeks, or maybe I did it for three weeks. Um, we've seen a huge tail off in the, the demand for um, direct from fishermen uh, seafood sales. So where do you think CSFs fit into the larger picture moving forward? Like, is there a place for them or are they just kind of always going to be this niche thing that maybe a handful of people benefit from and, but are actually inaccessible to a lot of other folks? Yeah. They're going to be a niche thing that only a handful of people benefit from. And, and I don't know if it's a real benefit a lot of the time. Um, What you'll see is that those who participate in CSFs as fishermen tend have to work their asses off to make it uh, successful. And so, um, you know, some of the fishermen that we've worked with in the past who have done um, the, the local, really invested in and pushed hard on local direct-to-consumer work, the number of hours that they put into that is not sustainable for most people. So I find these critiques really interesting, and both Ben and Dane raised some good points. I totally agree. But it's important to recognize that CSFs have and continue to evolve in innovative and entrepreneurial ways. I think sometimes people talk about the 2010 version of the CSF, the beta 0.1, if you will. But the landscape has changed a lot. Seafood harvesters have said, hey, let's not get hung up on the mechanisms here. We can draw outside the lines. The real thing that matters is the triple bottom line principle that CSFs represent and the relationship with communities. One way those philosophies play out is how CSF owners and operators engage with their communities. Take, for example, Alaskans own. We had not um, been involved in providing food to families in need um, other than through some sort of end of season or sometime during the season, a donation to a uh, wellness organization or welfare organization. But when this pandemic hit, um, we, I think, quickly became aware of of, uh, issues in the community where people were really stressed, I think, within weeks, the grocery stores, for example, stopped accepting checks because so many were bouncing. Um, So um, I worked with the processors here in town to have access to donated seafood from the fishermen. And we work with a group called Mutual Aid that also formed to help families in need. 
and they provide us names of people who have called and self-identified as needing seafood. Um, and then we, once a week, pick up the seafood from the processors. It's frozen, filleted, same, similar product, and we deliver it to families in need and then also to uh, we have sort of three food banks that were rotating through a um, family shelter and uh, Sika Tribe of Alaska, which runs a food bank, and then Salvation Army. So we're delivering some direct to families and then some through other organizations who are then providing it either cooked or, um, you know, in, as a meal or uh, directly to families who they know to be in need. Generally speaking, CSFs have been pretty good at adapting really quickly to the sudden changes that COVID-19 has brought, which is a unique feature in our food systems where large conglomerates often need much more time to change the way that their business model operates. Here's another example from Sitka Salmon Shares. Yeah, so we were really worried about uh, what it might do to our company because we had this plan of, you know, we had this many subscribers, we had this many fishermen lined up, we have our whole plant operations. And so we were like really unsure of like, how's this going to affect people economically? Are there going to be, uh, are people really going to want kind of, you know, a higher end fish delivered if they don't have a job? So we were like, we geared up to in, in March to really slow down everything and do like a really lean. How do we, how do we retain all our employees and keep, keep the lights on? And then, um, and so that's, that's the moves, those were the moves we made. And then all of a sudden in April, you know, while people were stuck at home, share sales started to kind of go crazy and, uh, and along and, and into May too. So we saw some of like our biggest sales growth this spring that we'd ever seen. So we kind of went from like, how do we be really kind of lean operations to, Oh, how do we like, how do we scale super quickly? And with COVID there's a lot of, uh, economic instability and like fish plants don't want to buy and hold on to a bunch of inventory. So prices are lower. So we've really helped insulate against that by paying really solid prices because we, because we could, because we had pre-sold the fish. So having that stable domestic market really, really helps them out. So they're excited to get a sell to us more fish than way more fish than they normally would. From a workforce workforce standpoint, like we're, We've kind of, we split up shifts to day and night, which isn't that fun to be running 24 hours a day to kind of split up workers and kind of splitting employees into cohorts with housing and focusing on local hires versus uh, bringing people in from out of state. Um, so that's, that's a big challenge with how opened up it is, you know, bars and restaurants are open, so we can't control what our workers do and like, uh, it feels like really risky. So we can do what we can at the plant with sanitation and wearing masks and distancing, but it feels like uh, incomplete because we can't control the rest of what's going on. But from a like sales and effects of COVID, I think the more people are stuck at home, the more fish we're gonna sell and people will be interested. They're on social media, they see our ads and they want, and they want good food to cook at home. I know I've ordered a lot of like artisanal products to cook in my house because I can't, <laughs> I'm spending my money on, home cooking more. So like, I, I feel like that a lot of the country and our, our membership is doing that as well. CSFs are all about relationships between the consumer, the harvester, and the seafood itself. This is a notable difference 
with the anonymous experience of shopping for seafood, even high quality seafood at the grocery store. For better or for worse, COVID-19 has created an opportunity, a disturbance, so to speak, in the normal consumption habits of many seafood eaters, and has created space for people to build relationships with local seafood producers. That's a really nice point, Josh. I think maybe we'll leave our listeners here with some final words from Alan Lovewell, a real good fish in California. I think the food systems and these types of businesses, whether you're CSF or CSA or any sort of direct online company, I think we're here to stay. Like, and I think the opportunity that was afforded us in this crisis was to really show the world that when the large centralized food systems collapse and can't bear the shock and stress of, of these types of events, that the regional food systems are here and we're resilient and we're nimble. And, and I think a lot of consumers, have, their eyes have been opened. Thanks for joining us. Social Fishtensine is a production of Coastal Roots Radio at the University of Guelph. We will be bringing you the voices and stories of small-scale fishermen and women from around North America for the foreseeable future of the COVID-19 pandemic. These interviews and episodes are being recorded week to week, and we aim to bring you a new one every other Tuesday. To connect with the people you've heard on this podcast, including fishermen, visit us on the Coastal Roots website at www.coastalroots.org. Coastal Roots Radio is funded by the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada and the Errol Food Institute at the University of Guelph. We also receive support from the American Anthropological Association and the local Catch Network. Today we heard from Linda Benkin, Marsh Scale, Alan Lovewell, Dan Donovan, and Ben Martens. You're listening to Austin One by Man, Woman, Child, available on the Free Music Archive. And before we sign off, we would like to send our condolences to everybody at the Columbia River Intertribal Fish Commission for their loss of Elder and Commissioner Johnny Jackson to COVID-19. We're so sorry for your loss.